0: Welcome to the podcast. This is episode 9. Chalk Dinosaur Podcast. You know, I've got a couple... couple podcasts I'm, I'm trying to do in the next couple days. Uh, I'm getting ready to... Go to Sean Howard's studio. And uh, we're gonna record an episode there. Talk about what he does. And, um, and then we're gonna jam. And... uh Yeah, I wanted to record one before that. I was actually, I couldn't sleep last night. And I was, uh, I was so close to just, uh, doing an episode late last night. But I, I didn't. I knew that would turn into a, you know, way later than I planned. And, uh, didn't want to, didn't want to, uh, mess, mess up my day too much. Yeah, couldn't sleep last night. Um... That's frustrating. Whenever you you go to bed at a a good time and then you can't sleep until you know, you might be trying to sleep for like 3 or 4 hours or something and then you it just feels like a waste cuz you could have been doing something else. But uh I'll tell you what. I don't have a problem sleeping uh unless unless I've done some some kind of uh, some kind of partying, drinking, partying, uh, on the weekend, and then it, it really throws off my, my rhythm, because, um, let's see, Saturday, there was a, a, benefit show, fundraiser for a guy named John Brunetti, uh, this is a guy that I, I've only met one time, um, but he's a, he's a person that seems to be very close with a lot of people and uh, a lot of people that I'm close with, um, And some of those people, uh, Gima from uh, Shaq Nicholson, uh, reached out and asked if I'd be interested in participating in this. And, uh, yeah, so I did. It was a Saturday night. It was kind of like, there was some, there was some, uh, there was a lot of music going on and then at the end of the night, there was a jam, just like a rotating cast of musicians from all different bands, um that came and played some music, and, um, I was really into that idea, too, Uh, and I got to, you know, I mostly played keyboard, and, and I also got to play some drums, which was really fun, but, yeah, that was really, that was really fun, um, there was, uh, there was a lot of people there, and I saw so many musicians, local musicians, um, you know, that are connected to this person that the fundraiser's for, Um, but I saw so many people from so many different bands, and, uh, it was great. Yeah, so I kind of, kind of let it go that night, and, uh, I paid the price on Sunday. Um, and then, yeah, probably tomorrow I'll have, like, a regular, (laughs) regular day. Um, anyway, you know something I noticed... I think I want to start giving out more, more random compliments. Not inauthentic compliments. You know, I'm not going to lie to someone. But I've noticed, you know, I've received a couple random compliments on thing, random things. And uh, it's been nice. Um, for example, I was at the gas station the other day. And uh, I, 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 I dropped a pastry. Um, but I, I had like a, one of those quick reaction catches where I caught, I caught it before it hit the ground. And, you know, there's the kind of things that, you know, a lot of times happens and nobody sees it. And you're like, ooh, that was a nice catch. But this time, gas station attendant or gas station clerk saw it and was like, you've got fast reflexes.
1: And oh, that's
0: my alarm going off. yeah and it's not like I pride myself on my ability to catch falling pastries, but you know, for some reason that that like lifted my mood a lot. Um, nice little nice little ego boost there. Uh, yep, and then i was I was at the gym working out, lifting some weights, very lightweights too. got a uh got an unsolicited compliment on my front squat form by a, a trainer, and uh, another one of those things felt pretty good, even though I was doing a pretty small amount of weight. Anyway, so I just noticed, you know, that, that did lift, that did just little, those little things, they they kind of changed my, they like put my mood on a higher trajectory, you know, uh, so if, <laughs> if I see something that I'd like, Or notice something that I like, I I think I would like to bring that to the person's attention more often. Uh, You know, stroke the ego a little bit of of that person. Not stroke the ego, but, you know, make them feel good about something. Uh, Because just (laughs) something as stupid as somebody noticing my pastry catch and complimenting it, uh, you know, that actually made me feel better for reasons I don't know the reasons well I I kind of do but it's just not expected that that would that would really make a difference although there's a there's a balance here um because I was (laughs) you know if I were to go up to uh uh someone and compliment them on the wrong thing um it could come off weird. For example, the same day when I was uh when I was at Ascend at the gym lifting some weights and doing some climbing, uh, you know, I noticed a girl stretching and she was really flexible. But if I just go up to a girl like that and my first words are, wow, you're really flexible. It just seems like that would that would come off creepy. Or or like It wouldn't be the same, it feels like, but maybe that's just me. Maybe it's because, yes, I found this person attractive. And so in my own head, that's creepy. Anyway, I'm trying out frozen broccoli. You know, I've been doing, I love broccoli. Broccoli is one of my favorite foods. Not just favorite vegetable, favorite foods uh, I haven't, you know, I, my gateway drug to the broccoli was, uh, beef with broccoli, you know, Chinese food broccoli. That brown sauce, uh, man, that tastes so good, and, uh, you know, it's continued into my adult life, and I've been getting all, I've been getting the fresh broccoli, the fresh crowns of broccoli, and, uh, it's a very small expenditure of energy to chop it up, but I don't particularly like doing it because uh, you kind of got to get in. It's not a clean, it's not like cutting up a, it's not like cutting up a, a carrot or like a mushroom, which is a very satisfying thing to cut, a mushroom, or like a celery. Ooh, celery might be the best, best vegetable to cut. I don't, I don't know, but Yeah. I started to ask myself, well, I started making smoothies with frozen fruit. And that made things a lot easier. In terms of, you don't gotta worry about your berries getting fuzzy. You just dump them in, they double as ice, it's great. And, uh, I did not notice any difference. In fact, I prefer the frozen fruit, but um, I didn't notice a difference in uh, the quality of my smoothie experience, uh, as opposed to fresh fruit. So I was curious if broccoli would be the same thing, because big bag of frozen broccoli already cut up, you just dump it in a pan, that, it, you know, what I wanted to find out is, is my enjoyment going to be pretty much the same? If if it's like a 90%, I enjoy it 90% as much, I'm definitely doing that, because uh, I think it might be cheaper, and it's definitely faster. And uh, it cuts out one of the steps I don't like about broccoli, which is getting my knife in there and cutting it into little pieces. You know, cauliflower is the same way. That Cauliflower is a, a little bit of a hassle to, to cut up. It's so tightly packed. And then, you know, when you're like, sometimes you pry some off with your hands to get access to the stalks. You pry a little bit off from the outside, and then, it, you know, you've got cauliflower explosion of little cauliflower dust everywhere. That's a little f- more coarse than dust, but um, I've been trying, I've been messing around uh, with, you know, well, maybe I've been thinking about cauliflower, cutting up cauliflower a little bit, a uh, little bit too old-fashioned, cutting off every little tree trunk so, I think I eventually started just trying to cut it up into slices, you know, like you've seen those cauliflower steaks, and I just chop it up. Be like, I don't care how this is chopped up, that it's sideways, half of a stalk, just a little square. Um, but still, um, would the frozen cauliflower be 90% as good? What would be different about it? Well, I tried some frozen broccoli yesterday. It was, you know, the convenience was really great. Uh, And, you know, I think it was, the difference was it might have been a little bit softer. Little, little tiny bit mushier. But, to be honest, I kind of like when the top of the broccoli is kind of soft. So, that's, uh, I'm sticking with that for a little while until I kind of get sick of it. But... I don't see that happening, and, uh oh man, what was I going to say, and the cauliflower, to broccoli, yeah, I don't know how it would work if, if I roasted it, roasting frozen broccoli, that might not work out so well, but for sautéed broccoli, I think I'm going frozen pre-cut, you know, I've come to find that most of the things in my life outside of music have been simplified or I've kind of had a tendency to try to simplify things outside simplify everything I can to the maximum degree maybe not everything but like my my diet my food intake is very much this uh I gravitated towards all food like a lot of dishes where you just need one pot where you only need a small number of cheap ingredients and uh yeah things that you can cook in one pot, eat in one bowl, store in one container that uh don't take a long time and within those recipes if i can find pre you know pre-cut stuff or nah you know what? Usually when I'm doing stuff like a soup or a stew, it's the only pre-cut packaged stuff is probably like peas and corn and tomatoes. I don't I don't uh I don't mess around much with cutting up a bunch of tomatoes for a soup. I, I usually just get canned tomatoes. You know what I like about frozen fruit frozen vegetables? Is that uh, you know that little message they write on it that says Frozen at the peak of ripeness. Yeah, that just, uh that just makes me feel good inside. I think I'm going to put that in a song. Fro- frozen at the peak of ripeness. You know, that's what everybody's trying to do with life. They're trying to freeze it at the peak of ripeness. But what I've found is that when I freeze my bananas, they continue to ripen at a slower pace. So you can't escape time, but you can... You can slow it down. You can manipulate the perception of it. We all know that uh, time perception is a flexible thing. It's malleable. For instance, you know, you'll say, Boy, that, that year went by really fast. Or, here's a better example. You're watching, uh, you're watching Netflix, a show that you're interested in. You know, three hours can go by like that. And uh, the same thing if you're engrossed in an artistic uh, activity, writing, playing music, uh, painting, whatever. If you're in the flow state, as they say, and your time perception is just not in your mind at all, you know, large amounts of time can pass in what feels like a very short amount of time. And what I found is uh, there's a couple activities, a couple things that have the opposite effect, where they expand time. And those things are interesting to me because, as you probably all observed, the older you get, the faster time is perceived to go by, uh, since it's a you know, one year becomes a smaller and smaller portion of time relative to, you know, your entire life experience, so it represents less, less time relatively. But there's a couple things that make time feel a lot longer. Meditation, one of those things. Trying to sit still and, and not entertain my thoughts and just focus on my breathing for 15 minutes, feels like forever. It is really challenging uh, for me at this point, still, even though, uh, you know, it's not like, I mean, I've probably been been doing it for, since 2015, 2016, not 100% consistent, on and off, but still, uh, it's not like this is the first time I've ever tried this, and it's it's hard to sit still and just uh, to not, not entertain the thoughts for, for only 15 minutes. It's hard to even do it for 5 minutes. It feels like the longest 15 minutes to me. To me it does. And, and this is just a very low level meditation. 15 minutes is nothing to, to a lot of more experienced meditators out there. So I like that. Slows things down. Another thing... Is uh, exertion like exercise? That's another one of those things that uh, back in October when I was doing that little experiment, and I was I made it a point to exercise for one hour every day, some type of exercise, physical activity, some kind of focusing on my the maintenance of my physical body, whether it be stretching, running, lifting weights, climbing, like just some some one hour focused on that. Uh. One hour, if I was working out harder, you know, pretty hard, one hour felt like a really long time. You know, if you're exerting yourself, and <laughs> they can really feel like a long time. On an even more micro level, if you've heard about these things called Tabatas, this is a really interesting, manipulate, like, a distortion of time. So Tabatas, it's like a high-intensity... High Interval thing where, let's say you're on a stationary bike, you can do it, apparently, you can do it with, with any exercise you want, but you go on a stationary bike and you go 100% effort, you know, as hard as you can for 20 seconds, and then you rest for 10 seconds, and then you, you know, go 100% for 20, and then you rest for 10. I think you do that eight times, so it, it ends up being a four minute workout. I might be messing that up, but I think it's four minutes if you, if you do that cycle eight times, 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off. And those 20 seconds, they feel so long. If you're going 100% and you're waiting for that 20 seconds to be up, it feels so much different. Uh, so, and then, you know, as a whole, that four minutes feels like you feels like you've done a lot in four minutes. Anyway, that's those are some examples of things that expand time. I I, I like to have some of the that might be you know that's one of the reasons I gravitate towards towards uh, exercise and meditation. It kind of slows things down a bit because time just accelerates when you're when you're in your head, um, and and when you're. Distracted, basically. So, meditation and exercise are activities where you're kind of focused on a, a, simple, a simple task uh, that doesn't involve thinking. Yeah, time expansion. Can't, you can't stop time, but you can, you can uh, affect your perception of it. I love that. And, uh, another interesting thing I noticed was, it it really blows my mind that, uh, John Henderson, our guitar player, Andrew Belcastro, bass player, uh, as a four-piece band, the four of us, me, my brother Nick, Andrew, and John, we played our first show last summer, and that just blows my mind because uh, it feels like we we've done a lot of stuff since then that just seems so long ago and there are some years where i you know a year goes by and i feel like it was nothing like wow that that was that long ago i thought you know i felt like it was yesterday is the phrase that is most commonly used but in this case farm jam the first farm jam that john played which was last july the first show shows a four piece band that does not feel like yesterday. That feels like years ago. Many years ago. So, um, and maybe that's because we did a lot of stuff throughout the year. So, there are all these little landmarks that were kind of close together that, you know, made it feel like that. Maybe because there was, you know, a lot of progression. Um, Yeah, that's that's an encouraging thought for me. That only last summer... We played our first show, and uh, it's good to kind of, you know, take encouragement from progression. Uh, progression is a very encouraging thing for me, and I, that's why I love I, I love recording our shows, and I post them all on YouTube, Chalk Dinosaur YouTube channel, just the GoPro video unedited, of uh, pretty much all of our shows. And um, I know it's not kind of the kind of content that's going to get a bunch of views or, or that people are even going to be interested in, other than, you know, a small handful of people. But, not, you know, that's not why I'm, why I'm doing it. Uh, I upload it just as a record, um, just for something that we can watch uh, when we want to go back to that time because it's just a snapshot in time it's really fun to hang out and and watch those shows and and kind of observe from a third person perspective what the show was like because it's always very hard to tell for me when it's happening you know what what is it like from the outside and especially if, after you have some time separation after the show was was filmed when you go back and watch it with a fresh perspective where you kind of forgotten the things, the little things that happened in the show. I find it to be very entertaining, very uh, encouraging, because we blow up these minute uh, things, or, or we exaggerate maybe any of the things that didn't go perfectly in our own minds. At least me, I'm speaking as me here. I blow up the little, the little details that might have not gone perfect, they get blown up in my own head. Um, But that goes away after some time. Or, you know, you're just so aware of how the set was supposed to go and how close you got to it going that way. Um, You know, right after the show happened, uh, you've got the expectations that your show is being compared with. You know, but after couple weeks, couple months has passed, have passed, those expectations of what the show should be are gone because you've moved on. So you just have the show and you're not comparing it really to, you know, your practices leading up to the show or anything like that. And uh, a lot of times it's turns out to be a lot, you know, I end up being a lot more pleased with the show after some time has passed and then we go and watch it. And I, I'm often encouraged and I think the rest of us are like, that was, you know, we did a we did a good job. Um, that's not to say that there aren't things that we notice uh, that we can do better. That's one of the great advantages of of watching your watching your performances or practices or, or listening to them. Um, it, it's very revealing, but it's in our experience it hasn't been like a discouraging kind of revealing. It's been encouraging, but also constructive. I think one of the things I noticed in in some of the shows, and I think we got better at this as we, we've been getting better at this, but something I noticed was the amount of time between our songs, like our transitions are, we might have, you know, we might play s- some of our songs well individually, but we haven't we, we haven't, uh, been able to string them together as fluidly as, um, a more experienced and, you know, matured band. Um, so that's something that we had, we put an increasing amount of focus on as, as we got the songs down better. We started to focus on the set as a whole a little bit more and we're still, we're still working on that for sure. Um. And, uh, well, yeah, that's something we're thinking about more. Um, Anyway, what's happened with with Chalk Dinosaur this month? Uh, We had two shows. The first show was on November 1st. It was at the Rex Theater with a producer named Manic Focus and another producer named Marvel Years. And they were doing DJ sets. Marvel Years played some guitar, so for that show we just did it two piece, me and Nick, and we played the more electronic side of Chalk Dinosaur. We did, I think we did four songs off the new album, and then and then some of the uh, the old standbys. Which, by the way, I I. Uh, I like start to feel guilty about playing those sometimes because they're getting to be kind of old now, (laughs) which is weird. And, um, you know, I'm like, man, people are probably getting sick of hearing this, but I've always got to keep it in perspective. Sometimes people want to hear those certain songs, you know, people are hoping to hear certain songs that are kind of more well-known. So, Whenever my brother Nick kind of brought up that point, like, some people, you know... When we play this one song, I see people moving and, like, getting into it a lot. When we play Lickety Split, like, that, that's the song that I see people get get going to. I see people get into that song every time. So, I'm like, all right, well... Let's add it to the set. Um... Yeah, so that was a two-piece show at the Rex. Me and Nick decided to wear fake mustaches for that show and Hawaiian shirts, which, uh... It, was, it, was, it felt good to be in a, a congruent uniform. And, um... Yeah, there were not a lot of people there when we started our set. In fact, it was like... It was like our bass player was in the crowd. Our friend Thad... Um, like our merch guy, (laughs) it's like maybe like 10 people in the room in that big room at the Rex when we started our set, it filled in by the end. But, uh, yeah, one of those, one of those times where you wear a fake mustache and a Hawaiian shirt, you know, one of the many times you do that in life. And it, it felt a little weird that there was nobody there and we had these costumes on, but, Anyway, that was uh that was that was a pretty good show. We we uh it was fun getting to to play some new stuff. And um you know, very grateful for the opportunity to be in the same bill as Manic Focus, who's a very accomplished producer, and very very successful and marvel years. Um you know, they, they run in the same circle, all these electro-funk kind of heavy bass music slash funk music. Um, and, uh, yeah, I haven't really, I, I talked to, I played with Manic Focus and Russ Liquid last year, I think. And I, I, I did have a chance to talk to them a bit, and I was, I was trying to get to know them a little bit and trying to, trying to you know, um, just, uh, you know, become friends with them. Um, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't see him, uh, this, this show. Yeah. I don't think I saw him off the stage. Um, and I, I was going to go talk to the Marvel years guy, but, uh, he was, he was occupied when I was, uh, going to talk to him. So wasn't able to have a conversation with either of them aside from the greeting, but that's okay because I didn't, really have much to back up my conversation with which is a good thing cuz i i had literally just heard of marvel years so i i checked out a few songs on my way to the venue so i didn't really know the music well enough to to kind of like really get into a a, a deeper conversation about it um and same thing with manic focus like i i've listened to a few tracks i i really did like his single, kind of recently, called Liar Bird, it's like a very chill, uh, chill track, which was not what I was expecting, but, um, yeah, like, I just didn't, I didn't know enough to, to have, like, the, I didn't feel prepared to have, like, a good conversation on a peer level, because I didn't, I didn't have enough ammo, what would, what would, what would be the ammo, like, if I know, if I'm, a big fan of somebody's and I get a chance to talk to him. I can, I can talk to them about specific things, about how they did a certain thing. And, you know, people are, if they've created something, uh, I find that they, and me included, if somebody else is, you know, enjoys that, what you've created and they want to know about a specific part of it, I love talking about that kind of stuff. And I think what what I found is, you know, other people do too. Uh, you know, if you are asking them about a certain thing that's kind of been a point of pride um, for them, like something that they put a lot of work into and that they are proud of, and, and someone you know wants to know more about it, I find that people people just uh, yeah they they definitely enjoy talking about it, and that's kind of been that's kind of been my approach when I when I talk to any any musicians really is, or, or just people uh, in general, especially, yeah, people that do anything, I guess people in general, yeah, if you, you talk to them about what they do and and things they do well, that's kind of the best way I know how to connect with somebody quickly, is to talk about them with, to hear, like, talk about them, talk about, Talk to them about what they do, and like, um, you know, with a genuine interest in uh, understanding their approach to it. What I've found is that you know I'm pretty, I'm pretty good at talking with other musicians about what they do, and there's something about musicians and and artists maybe not on the, the same. Like level of ease of connecting, but still same. Better like I can connect with musicians and artists, and and people doing um, creative stuff, and the arts and stuff. Like I just connect with those people, but musicians, in particular, uh, so naturally it's great. Um, especially if we play a similar type of music, or they play a music type of music that I I really like or, um, yeah, there's just a, there's some weird, uh, connection uh, that's just kind of, in most cases, automatically there. Like, I I feel like I've I've known someone for a a longer time than I have. That happens a lot with with musicians, which is great. I, I love that feeling of, um, connection. But on the other hand, I am pretty not comfortable and not very good at connecting with people who are not in that uh, sphere. Not, not all the time. There's plenty of people, plenty of non-musicians and non-artists that I, that I connect well with. But in general, when I'm, when I'm meeting new people uh, or I'm in a social situation... And it's like a, if it, let's say for example it was like a business conference or something, or like a, some kind of completely unrelated thing that I have, you know, I don't know, like a, you get the idea. It, it, I'm pretty bad at that. Um, unless until, <laughs> you know, I find out that somebody either plays music. Or does art, or does anything that I have some kind of feeling of uh connection to so I mean, my social life has become completely centered in what's going on what I do with music, and yeah, it just completely revolves around music now um, like the the people I live with are. Or my brother and andrew and and we do music together. they're honestly most of my social life um, and the times I do get out, it's usually for a music event like like a show like that show on Saturday, sometimes a show that I'm just going to uh as a uh, just to to watch, and then other times uh you know people coming over to record, um, jam sessions, it's all revolving around music. And I like it that way. Uh, that is n- not entirely been by design, but it kind of just has happened. I mean, aside from family and, and some of my oldest friends, uh, yeah, if I'm doing any social life, I don't really have much of a social life unless it's, you know, the music scene is kind of where I get my socialization. Is that the right word for that? It's where I do my socializing. Which is great because I connect with those people the most. Um, and the most easily. And I, I, feel, I feel like a sense of belonging in that group of uh, people. Uh, which is a good feeling. I've been in plenty of s- uh, social situations where I get the opposite feeling. Uh, I feel like I don't belong. And uh, then I feel very uncomfortable and, and withdrawn. And uh, you know what they say, when I say they, I mean, I've heard this from a lot of different people, uh, and heard it in a lot, of, a lot of different ways, just from a lot of, it's kind of a, a rule I've been hearing, uh, a law of nature, uh, and you've probably heard it, that you're a product of the people that you spend the most time with, or you're a product of the people that you Hang out with, or you're a product with the people that you surround yourself with. Some variation variation of that. That idea. I think it's very true. How often do you do you spend a lot of time around someone, or have you have have you witnessed somebody, you know, spending a lot of time around a certain person or certain group of people, and they start acting differently? They start acting like that other, you know, the two people start kind of acting like each other, um, and that is, that's something I've been thinking about more, you know, like, I i should be, I should be a little, you know, I should be more active in, in surrounding myself with people who have qualities that I uh, admire, and um, people who I connect with, and people who inspire me, and, and stuff like that, and You know, hanging out around music does that because, you know, these are people that, they just feel like, feel like my kind of people. Not saying that if you're not a musician or an artist, you're not my type of person, it's not true. In general, though, it's 100% true that if I'm hanging out with people who are superior in terms of anything, uh... You know, it's going to make me better by Osmosis. There's a song on the new Recluse album. Recluse is a band from Pittsburgh. I'm sure you've heard of them. Well, I'm not sure, but you've probably heard of them. And they had a new album. One of the songs was called Dumbest Guy in the Room. And (laughs) I'm just using the title as an example here. The song, I don't think, has anything to do with this concept or this truth in the world. That, you know, being the dumbest guy in the room, it it doesn't feel good, but it is good. Figuratively, the dumbest guy in the room. You could be just like being at the bottom rung in a scenario, just increase, like it subconsciously raises your effort level or your urgency to improve. So whenever I'm in those situations and I'm I'm at the bottom of the the ladder and people are you know I'm hanging out with people that are way more advanced than me in something. That makes me better at whatever it is I'm I'm doing. So if I'm if I'm playing with hanging out with musicians or playing with with certain players or something that are amazing, even just being around them or watching them do something, that like seeps into me. And I think that is the same with everybody. Like, uh, it's pretty amazing. Sometimes I'll watch a performance, and then my playing, you know. And then we'll get together to practice after I've witnessed something that I feel like is amazing and inspiring. And it'll I'll be better after seeing that. Like, it'll be a better, be a better practice for me. Or, um, you know, when I'm playing with the Clock Reads, uh, who are all uh, jazz trained musicians uh and understand music on a level that I don't you know like I'm in kindergarten and you know they're they're graduating uh college or maybe even grad school I don't know but uh when I'm in those scenarios I have to there's just a higher sense of well I don't know it's like a subconscious you know just being around people that are better than you um raises your level and you know the same thing happened as a child um being a you know if you've if you are a person that had older siblings and you guys play together and you were playing with your older siblings friends in a you know sports or something it made me a better better athlete I feel like it made my younger brother Nick made him a better athlete um because you're you're having to you're you're with people who are at a higher level than you, so being the dumbest guy in the room is a uh, is a good thing, and um, I think it's it's so helpful for for growing. So I I'm I'm trying to spend time around spend more time around uh, people who are gonna you know, people who are way more advanced than me and stuff. For example, uh, I just took my first piano lesson in eight years uh, yesterday, a guy by the name of Lucas Bowman or Bo- Bowman? I heard Clinton Clegg call him Lucas Bowman, so maybe I've been saying his name wrong. Lucas, I'm sorry if I did, but he's a, he's a jazz piano player, um, one of these people that I've been describing who is, you know, light years ahead of me in terms of musical development and, and knowledge, and uh so he was over for a couple hours actually. It was it was uh it was great. Um I got to pick his brain on a bunch of stuff, get his advice on on how to you know what kind of steps should I take to get started here. Cause I, I wanna I wanna actually you know, I want to work on my, my piano playing, keyboard playing. Um because I can do simple melodies, chords, simple chords. And you know, I'm I'm relying a lot on just that just being a little piece of whatever is going on. Um, not, not being... You know, I'm, I'm pretty limited in what I can do. I can play melodies. I can do rudimentary, like, soloing. But it's mostly just, like, melodies. Not that that is vital to creating an a impactful piece of music. Like, it can be, it can be dead simple and, and still be impactful. Which I love about music, it doesn't have to be crazy theoretical and and it doesn't have to be anything specific to to be impactful and and move someone. But every time I watch a musician like Anomaly, I just saw I just like caught wind of this this guy, Anomaly, you check him out. I watched some videos and he is so good. Um piano player. But, like, also seems to be, like, an Ableton genius. And, um, yeah, when I see some players, like Lucas, like Benny Rossman, um, like the, the the Players in the Clock Reads, guys that are so f- fluid in the language of music and, and fluid on their instruments, um, it just looks so free and, and uh, nice. Like, I want to have that freedom of expression where... I just have an understanding of the language uh, that I can, you know, say whatever I want. Because at this point, you know, I can say a lot of the things I want through my playing. I'm speaking figuratively here. <laughs> but there are, there are some limitations. Limitations are good to have. Uh, or, you know, it kind of forces you to be more creative within your means. But whenever I see a player who appears to be truly fluent on their instrument or in music, uh, that just looks like such a nice thing to have. Like watching Jules Powell play drums. Uh, that just looks amazing. That looks like euphoric to be able to express so freely on an instrument. And I can definitely say that, you know, the better I've gotten, the more fun it gets. And, um, Not that it wasn't... It was never not fun. Like, I've always loved... uh, I've always loved... uh, Making whatever music I can make with whatever skills I have, whatever sound I have. Because there's always something you can do. Um, And, you know, there is also a truth, like... You know, if you get... The music... I don't want it to get too abstract and theoretical and to the point where some, you know, a person who's not a a trained musician can can enjoy it. I don't want to get to the point where a person who's not trained can't enjoy it, can't connect with it. But I want to have that information and I want to be able to play with the fluidity of, you know, that which I speak, English. I love that analogy too, of music as a language, it's so true, uh, it's so spot on, and I think I, I saw some video where someone was comparing speaking with improvising and, and saying, you know, everybody can improvise, we all do it every day, when we, when we put together words to form sentences, and we express our thoughts and our feelings. We're improvising sentences. Nobody's telling us what to play. We're not reading something. We're just talking. So, yeah, and the music is the same thing with your, you you know, you've got notes, letters, and phrases. And you can form sentences, and, uh, you know, you're using these musical words and sentences to express yourself. And, yeah, so I would just like to get fluent so I can freely express in music. Um, dang. Went off on a tangent there. We got a, a clock dinosaur show. It's coming up December 4th. This is a fish after party show. And it's going to be me plus the clock reads. Um, this will be... The fourth time we've done this, I think, where we've played a show together, um, it's always fun it's fun to fun to get together with those guys. Fun to play with that band um, and just be in, involved in their in their playing and and get to see what it's like uh, being in their world. Um, so yeah, usually a little bit intimidating, a little bit intimidating because uh, a little out of my depth. Uh, but, you know, it also is fun just to try and find a, find a place where I can fit into that and, and not be messing things up. And, uh, let's see. Oh yeah. We had a show on the 15th, November 15th at Thunderbird. This was our first time at the the Thunderbird newly renovated music venue in Lawrenceville. And that place is sweet. That room is so cool. Um and it's it's really amazing how much different it looks. Chalk Dinosaur played the Thunderbird before it got renovated. This was probably 10 years ago. And uh it was such a small and kind of s- crowded s- the stage was tiny and it was very crowded um not easily accessible. It's pretty amazing the transformation. It was and it, and the stage is like the solid concrete so it's it sounds really controlled and good up on stage. And um, yeah, it's great. But we played with a band called Different Places in Space who they were at the, the Benefit Show Fundraiser Jam last night. Or no. <laughs> oh my God, did I just say last night? On Saturday night. And uh, yeah, those guys are a lot of fun. And uh, it, was, it was great getting to see them again. And also on the bill was Misaligned Mind, who is a band from Pittsburgh, a power trio um, led by Zach Wiesinger, who I hope to have on the show sometime because he is. Well, I just like stuck on my middle finger, but that that was unintentional. No, Zach is. I've known Zach peripherally for a really long time, going back to, you know, pre puberty years. Because his family is friends with my best friend's family, uh, the Bezaks, who I I grew up on the same street as them. They're friends with we, we singers. So I've kind of known Zach and seen him around since, you know, early, early adolescence, I guess. Grade school years, actually. But, you know, started doing a little bit of music here and there with him, starting around 2011, just... Just random, random jams, uh, we made a couple weird tracks together, really weird tracks. Um, would love to, to eventually put something together with him, write some more music with him. Because he is one of the most uniquely talented and uh, creative uh, musicians that I've ever met. And um, really, truly amazing player and, and composer in, in Pittsburgh. One of the, yeah, just, he's a world-class, world-class, uh, player and, and composer, and, uh, yeah, I love seeing him play, and I was so pumped to be able to play a show with him, because we've never played a show together. In, in all the years we've known each other, we've never played a show with Chalk Dinosaur and, and Zach in and Misaligned Mind. Uh... I have I have played some shows with him, you know, s- sat in with his band a few times, played drums with his band when they when they did some shows uh in Texas and Texas and uh Tennessee. And yeah, but our bands have never played together. Anyway, if you don't know him, Go see one of his shows, and uh, I think you'll find it highly, highly entertaining. I gotta, I gotta remember to mail, I'm doing a shirt trade with the uh, Starblazer guys, guy. So, y- you may have seen on social media, or, or not, uh, there's a game, of a virtual reality, a VR game, called Starblazer and they the developer it's like an indie game and those developers found me because I have an album called Starblazer and they um they put like they started putting some Starblazer the the music their the song they started putting little easter eggs in their game uh which I thought was awesome <laughs> so i think i think there's like a virtual there's a VR lounge and if you go up to the jukebox, uh Star blazer, the song will start playing or something like that. Um and it'll show the show the credits or you know show the artist name or something. I forget. There's that's so funny. But he's he's going to send me a Star blazer shirt cuz they got these shirts for their game and it just says Star Blazer on it. And uh which I'm pretty pumped about and he's sending sending us shirts for the whole band, which is amazing. I'm going to send him some shirts too, some Chalk Dinosaur shirts. I've always wanted to be in a game. Uh, apparently, I hear Starblazer is in that like beat slicing game, like Beat Ninja or whatever. I don't have a, I don't have a VR system, uh, so unfortunately, I can't experience these things. Well, I could if I knew someone that had VR. I, I'm not ready to get one of those yet. But anyway, that's that's pretty sweet. I'm pretty excited. I have a Starblazer shirt. new album I'm still aiming for the end of the year before 2020 it's going to be about seven songs and these songs are going to have they're all going to have vocals and lyrics and they're of you know it's a pretty diverse range of styles but uh, this album's really about it's just songs that is the thing um, so I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. I've got to get cranking on that cause I've been, I've not been because I've, I've been kind of focused on the shows and, and trying to do some more library work. Like the, my, my job, job of composing for, uh, composing background music for TV shows. I've been trying to crank out a bunch of that because i I spent a lot of time traveling this year and not working and doing shows and just like trying to trying to recoup here and um, you know yeah i spent I spent a lot of time out probably about two months total traveling, not working, and then we played a lot of shows, and whenever we're playing shows i'm I'm usually. Usually my, my studio is a little bit in disarray because all my stuff is at our practice space. And um, I'm usually focused on the sets. And, uh, and I'm, I'm not focused on new material or um, stuff like that. And, and a lot of times not... Yeah, and I, a lot of times I just don't have work to do. Like uh, production work the freelance TV production stuff. So I either have a lot of that to do or none of it. And, um, yeah, so I was away for a while. If I hadn't done all that traveling, I would definitely have, uh, you know, more money right now, but I don't regret it at all because, uh, I'm still here. Uh, and now I've done something that I've wanted to do for a long time. And, uh, yeah, it's not it's not ultimately going to matter that I don't have more money right now. That's the thing. I this uh current status of life right now for me is very uh insecure. There is no job security. There is no retirement security. There's no benefits. But I have enough to pay for everything I need to pay for. Um and you know, live pretty much pretty much the way I want to live i I don't know what I would add um, I guess I don't know, but yeah, it's totally different than you know everybody i everybody that's jumped into the job regular job sector. Which is the majority of of people um, that's not doing independent contracting. Uh, it's just a very different world. Uh, everybody's got got four hundred one k's and retirement accounts and uh, benefits and stock options. Or you know, I'm so uneducated in all that stuff. I need to need to talk to someone about that. But, yeah, I, I sacrifice that kind of security and long-term planning. I, could, I don't have any of that. But I do have a lot of freedom. And that is, that's a trade, that's a hard trade. And a lot of people aren't willing to sacrifice security in order to, um, you know, go for something else that they want to do. Um and I understand that I have that even in my own world where okay so I'm doing this background music for TV that is my security like doing that um assuming I keep getting asked to do it cuz it's on a case by case basis it's not like I have a I'm not I'm not an employee they just ask me when they have specific things they need and think that I would do a good job on so I have that kind of security, and that allows, or, and that's, that's parallel to Chalk Dinosaur, which is, you know, my personal passion stuff, and, and the library work is, you know, how to make ends meet. So, you know, I, I hear a lot of, there's two ways people I've heard talk about it. They're like, well, you can't have a plan B because then you're not going to try as hard on plan A. This is true. This is 100% true. Okay, good. Just had to make sure that's still going. This is 100% true. If I didn't have this library work, I would for sure be trying harder with Chalk Dinosaur, with my personal production work and trying to work privately for musicians. Like, I know that would be true. If my back was a little more up against the wall than it is right now, I would definitely be trying harder. but um as it is i don't i don't have to rely on chalk dinosaur as my breadwinner, and honestly i don't i don't know how it would be right you know it's it's like a, i think i'm losing money i think i might be like at equilibrium here with chalk dinosaur and the the expenses and uh income probably at like an equilibrium. Like, I'm just trying to get it so people... So the people in my band that are playing with me don't have to pay out of their own pocket to play in the band. Um, but, you know, if, if that were the only option and I had to make it work, you know, I would be trying harder. But do I want it to be like that? I have been very resistant to putting all that pressure on chalk dinosaur because I don't want it to i'm I'm scared of it becoming a burden um and now uh, since we're playing as a full band i I have to you know I'm not only asking these questions for myself these other guys have to be asking these questions too and and they've all got established careers um, that can provide a lot more than Chalk Dinosaur can. Uh, so, I'm scared of it becoming a burden, becoming a, a source of stress. Something that I feel, I don't want it to be something that I feel trapped by, that I have to do something. You know, if, if we started... Um, going down the route of being professional performers well if we were doing a lot of touring and stuff like the guys in the band they wouldn't be able to keep their jobs they would have to get some kind of much lesser job to allow them the flexibility to to do touring and stuff and that's that's uh that's like not that's so not uh an equal choice at all, because chalk dinosaur doesn't make any money um, but then there's chicken and egg, you know are we? you know I know you could eventually make that money if you if you give it your all, but do we really want that i don't know do I really want that do i want do i want because then if you if you put if you put it all into chalk dinosaur performing is probably going to be. Very big chunk of any income you make, like a lot of people, that is the income. And once you get into that place, then you've got to keep touring. It seems like because you can't just choose here and there shows to play. You've got to keep you've got to keep playing shows and and touring to to make a living. You know, year round. And I'm very hesitant to do that. I might try it out um I might try it out uh we might do some weekend shows as a band. I might try some more touring-ish stuff solo just since flexibility-wise um you know I could take I could take some opportunities perhaps uh if even if the the band isn't available I could do solo shows. I've also been very, very much thinking about starting a, some kind of DJ persona, DJ artist outlet. Um, Because I want to have, I've always wanted to keep everything under Chalk Dinosaur, but I've become increasingly interested with starting a separate artist entity specifically to release just very electronic music and of a very of a much more narrow style and something that I could perform that I could just DJ um and there being no expectation or yeah but there being no expectation of of uh of me doing anything else other than DJing um I always thought it would be fun to get to play my productions through big sound systems. I love listening to. Uh, w- stuff I've worked on. I love listening to it loud. I love presenting it loud. And. Um, just experiencing. Listening to that stuff with with people. Um, and DJing. Is where you get to do that. You get to just present your productions. Exactly as you created them. You don't have to try and match that. Uh, it's not like when you're. In, um, you know, a situation where you're trying to match an album recording, which in the case of our full band, I think we exceed our album in terms of the live experience, assuming that the sound is good out front, like this, the sound guy is doing a good job. I feel like the you know, there's more energy, you get more from it when you hear it live, which is good, it's great. It's always Kind of been the opposite for me, where I'm trying to match a, rec- a studio recording, and it's been very hard. This one, we're trying to match. We're trying to match our live energy on our recording. But yeah, with with the if you're DJing, you're you're, you know, using th- you're using the things you recorded and presenting those and mixing those together in a way that creates a uh, the kind of energy you want to create. And, yeah, I just want to do that. Um, I'm I'm so... I'm so uh, into the idea that if I learn how to use CDJs, I can travel anywhere with a USB stick and headphones and uh, play music for people. Um, but I want to do it under a different name so that there's no expectations. Uh, because with Chalk Dinosaur, there's there's already... Too many different expectations uh, based on what people have heard um, because the albums are a lot different. The band exists in like four different forms, you know, solo, duo, trio, and quad... quartet. Yeah, like we've played shows as just solo, just me and my brother, just me, my brother, and Andrew, and then all four of us. Uh, And each of those different arrangements have different sets. Like, different sets of songs that we can play and that work with those. So, I'm going to try and... I'm going to take the DJ out of it and make that a separate thing, I think. I'm thinking of names and... uh, Yeah, I'm still thinking of names. I'm not going to discuss that right now, actually. Because that's still secret. I don't want any outside influences when I'm coming up with a name, unless, uh, unless, uh, I've specifically consulted someone. But, um, yep. Yeah. All right. Here's, I got a question, um, uh, from Funk Emmanuel on Instagram. Uh, his name's Emmanuel. Um, I asked him, uh, if he had any questions that he wanted me to go over on the podcast. And let's see. Emmanuel Wright asked me for tips on how to take production live. So, everybody seems to do things in slightly different ways. It, it really depends on what kind of music you're making, what kind of show you want to do, and how much involvement you want to have with... How much micro-involvement, like how much playing of instruments do you want to do? Because on one end of the spectrum, you've got band, which is people performing all the elements of the songs. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got DJ which is somebody playing pre-recorded pieces of music and mixing them together on a much more macro level. And then you've got everything in between, which is where Chalk Dinosaur is, where there's some pre-recorded elements, there's some samples and loops and electronic elements, and then there's also a band playing. And then there's like my solo show, which is mostly loops and pre-recorded electronic stuff, and then I'm playing one instrument or, or something. So there's the whole spectrum in the middle and, and, uh, you know, the simplest way to share your productions and perform your productions is probably to DJ requires the least amount of equipment. Um, and you get to showcase your productions. Um, and it's, it's, it's pretty simple, not saying not diminishing what a DJ does at all. Uh, But just in terms of, like, stuff you've got to coordinate, um, you know, I'd say full band, obviously that's hard to coordinate, you've got, you know, you've got multiple people involved now, and so everybody's, so everybody's, you know, schedules and and priorities and stuff are, are taken into account and trying to coordinate, uh... Get everybody on the same page. And then in the middle, you know, you could do a solo thing where you have kind of a hybrid thing, which is kind of where I started doing stuff in like 2015 when I was doing solo shows and making music for solo performance. It was a hybrid stuff where I was doing beats, some loops, and um, playing instruments. So, Here's, here's, I don't, I'm very much trying to figure stuff out myself, but here's something that really is what lit the fire for everything over the last four years, and that was recording videos. Um, So my, my advice would be record some videos of you performing something. If you go to the Chalk Dinosaur Facebook page, you can see the very early videos. I think I named them Studio Jam. So my goal, I got a, I got a GoPro and my goal was, you know, I'm going to, I realized I can make a, I can record video and I can record high quality audio and I can put them together. Um, so I just need to create something simple. I had, I had like a setup. What did I have? I set up all my instruments. Um, and then I tried to just make a piece of music that was simple enough that I could perform it and, you know, somewhere between 5 and 10 minutes. Shorter, shorter the better, really, for, for the video because you can, you can do more takes of it and, and it won't be as hard to get all the way through it. But part of the challenge was I have to be able to get all the way through it without making any huge mistakes. Um, so, you know, I'd start a drum beat And then I'd either like start an arpeggiator, or like if you're working in Ableton, start a drum beat, then start an arpeggio loop, and then you could either like jam on the bass synth or like bass guitar, or you could record a loop of another thing. Just uh, you know, if you are focused on all right, I'm gonna try and make a performance video. That's five minutes. Five minutes doesn't take that much time you know, um, if you're just trying to make something simple that you can get through in five minutes, like you'll see in the, the studio jam videos that I posted on the Chalk Dinosaur page a long time ago, like they start out very primitive and then they keep getting more sophisticated, um, with, with each video kind of. And so that's the thing, like start out really simple, just try and make a a piece of music that you can get through in five minutes. So I would yeah, I would kind of just have a progression that I would go through, like, all right, I'm going to start out with the beat, and then I'm going to play some chords, and then I'm going to, and then, and then I'm going to trigger this loop that's going to play some different chords, and then I'm going to play some lead things, and I would just have, like, you know, four little sections of, I would do different things, and then it would end. So, and boy, that was, that was a really powerful thing, because it, it caused, it caused me to write music. I wasn't planning on writing music necessarily. I just wanted to make a video, but it forced me to make a five minute or so piece of music that I could get through. It, it caused me to not make things too complicated because I had to be able to, you know, get through it. And, um, yeah so I was at the same time creating videos and writing music, and then through those videos had stuff to book shows with, like to show people to to get get booked in shows and through those videos is how I started getting booked in shows with that material and then once that started, that's just the the chain reaction just continued, and it's continuing to this day, which is just crazy. And it started from making videos, focusing on trying to make a simple five minute piece of music that I could get through. That kind of just had a beginning, a middle, and an end. And within the middle, you know, however many different things I wanted. But yeah, my advice would be to keep it simple, try and make five piece five minute piece thing that you could perform. And yeah, I mean, take a video like try and make a five minute performance video and, you know, don't, don't worry about how, how complex it is or anything. Just five minutes, just a, a finished piece of music. What does finished mean? That it just has a beginning, a middle and an end in this case, uh, because I wasn't, I wasn't taking time to really overthink these pieces of music. And a lot of them ended up on the album. I I kind of just went with, all right. That's like, that's good enough. It doesn't need to be any, like, I wasn't getting really microscopic with these. Like, it was very general or very much bigger. Um, I don't know how to express this. It was just simpler uh, than when I sit down at a computer and, and try to make music and you have unlimited possibilities. It's really easy to to start making things to get too microscopic with things and with the video i had to keep it just by necessity had to keep it more broad had to keep it more simple so that i could perform it but then when you're done with the video you know i would i would you know have an idea all right these are the going to be the main sections of the song and then once i had that i would just do video takes you know some of them I would get quickly, other ones would take me many takes uh to get to get a take where I made it all the way through without making any too big of errors, but yeah, and then just start out simple, really simple, don't worry about if it's good or bad, and yeah, just focus on making the complete idea that you could take a video of um, because those things just naturally got more sophisticated and more complex with each video and you can see it in the videos that they start out very simple and they, they keep, I mean it kind of starts to get complex pretty quickly because once you start, once I made the first one I, I had a bunch of ideas about what I could do for the next one and then like um, those ideas kind of kept building and then the, the system of how I was making the sound kind of developed and changed. So yeah, that was that was probably the the most amazing like helpful thing that that I've done in terms of taking production live. However, if you're if you're not so interested in doing that, I think like DJing productions is that would be that would also be like a great and ultimately easier, simpler way to to, like, showcase your productions um, you know, exactly how they were recorded which would be great I would would like to do that I'd like to do more of that but here was, at the time I was more interested in doing something more performance based in terms of musical instruments and, and triggering stuff and whatever You know, because I felt, I don't know, I felt like, I don't know, I didn't really understand what DJing was, even at the time. Um, Low battery. And I was really feeling called to do something more improvisational in terms of, and like more physically rooted in playing an instrument. Um, That's just what I was feeling called to almost, and then I, I kind of had a f- few years, I mean, I still have it, but the feel, I, the feeling of needing to, like, legitimize, legitimize my musicianship or something, uh, like, I need to be playing an instrument and, and doing something to, like, be seen as legitimate, <laughs> um, one of these little head games we play, um, so I was feeling that a little bit, I was feeling that pretty hard actually when I first started, so I was like, Oh, I need I can't just be like playing music up here. But little did I know, you know, yes you can, that's what DJs do. They they play pre recorded music. So there's nothing nothing wrong with that. In fact it's quite uh some people will like it quite a lot. It's quite popular these days. I guess it's been quite popular for a long time. It's been it was so you know, so it was such a foreign world to me and it it kind of still is like it, it's a complete different world the uh the DJ world it, it for some reason i like couldn't wrap my head around what a dj actually does um is like i thought they were <laughs> i thought they were like making all the sounds happen when they're happening some happening somehow like with their controllers like i thought they were like making these sounds happen and you know on a level they are but i i had i had the assumption that it was like more macro control or more micro controlled than it was, you know, and it's when in reality they're they're mixing music. They're mixing pre-recorded pieces of music one into another and making a you know, in the artistry and DJing is to weave weave together, you know, a set with uh with uh precise energy control and and being able to, you know, read the crowd and and get the crowd going and and, uh, yeah, there's a whole world of artistry in that. And that's something that I've been, you know, trying to wrap my head around for years. I'm, st- I'm finally getting there, but not even scratching the surface with that stuff. But, um, yeah, that was like, I was, <laughs> <laughs> just took me forever to understand that. <laughs> like, I thought they were doing all the little sounds and beeps and boops, but no, no, it's like they, somebody produced that music and it might've been them. And they're, they're kind of like presenting it and weaving it into a set that they're mixing together. And that like blew my mind. I was so, so dumb about that. Uh, I was also pretty dumb about, no, not dumb, just naive to, yeah, like just another thing that kind of blew my mind when I realized was that so much hit music um, from across history and even today is, you know, written by someone else other than the performer. That, like, that really blew my mind whenever I was like, oh my god, this song wasn't written by this band or this artist? Like, I had it in my head that every song was written by the person who was singing it. That's just, like, something I unless they're singing like a Christmas carol. <laughs> like, uh, if there was a performer playing a song, I just believed in my head, I assumed naively that every song was written by the person who was performing it. And then I started, <laughs> yeah, and then I, I, um, I saw Motown, I saw the Mo- Motown the musical, I think. And, uh, and it revealed the world of you know they had songwriting team, and they wrote the songs for almost all of the artists. Not not every song, but the vast majority. They they would write the songs for the artist. The artist would perform it. Like um, yeah, and so it's like a, a two part thing. And then I I was looking at all my records and looking at you know lists the song and then the songwriter, and I was like, oh my god, all these songs are actually written by you know different people so you know and that still exists today uh definitely in in pop music and you know in places like nashville and la there's a it's all you know there's two two sides of music you know songwriting and then performing uh, you know songwriter and then artist and those are two separate things and you know that's it's uh nothing wrong with that. Um, I just completely thought wrongly that you know artist was always the songwriter, and that blew my mind when I realized that they're different in a lot of cases. All right, this is this has been going on way longer than I th- than I thought it was going to. All right, I want to end on uh, a couple things here. So a long time ago, I was I was hanging out with a friend uh, named Bob, and <laughs> I think we were talking about Christmas music, and we were listening to uh, "Baby It's Cold Outside," and he was like, "Man, I I kind of get like a creepy vibe from this song," and uh, he was absolutely right. Um, there has to have been like a joke or a skit about this song because it indeed, when I'm looking at the lyrics, is is quite quite creepy. Um yeah. Ah. What do we have here? I'm trying to find some lyrics that are demonstrate my point here. Yeah, he's just like she's like in the song it's like she says line and he says line and she's like continuously like I simply must go, but baby it's cold outside. The answer is no baby's clothes out and he doesn't take no for an answer and then dang in this this day and age man no no means no but back then he's like he's like not accepting no for an answer she wants to get out of there seems like she wants to get out of your creepy apartment dude like uh you you uh you met out on the street and on a whim she came over to his house on a date and and she got to his house and saw that he had a bacon mask uh sitting on the kitchen counter and she's trying to get the heck out of there And he's like, no You must stay, I'm not going to let you leave Next time you hear this I can never listen to the song the same way again uh, It's just creepy What's the Oh, there's a line at the end There's bound to be talk tomorrow Think of my lifelong sorrow At least there will be plenty implied If you got pneumonia and died uh, This was after, you know He'd been trying for the whole song to get her to stay against her will. Trying to convince her to stay. And now... Now he's talking about her dying? And the implications of her not coming home? Um, Right. We'll tell them that you got pneumonia and died. But really... uh, I'll be on my way to Mexico. Anyway. I thought that was funny. Next time you listen to... Maybe it's cold outside. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll uh, listen to the words and get that creepy vibe that, uh, that I'm getting. Uh, I guess all right, one more one more thing I've been thinking about a lot, and on a positive note here, not on a creepy note. Uh, you know, sometimes I enjoy hearing uh, amazing inspirational stories. Who doesn't, right? Well, a lot of people just don't even think about uh, think about it, um, but sometimes you come across come across a story that is truly amazing to you, and kind of opens up your mind to what is actually possible. So one of those stories was I heard it on the Jocko podcast. There's a guy named Rob Jones, and he was a uh, a veteran and uh, he got, he was overseas and got both of his legs blown off by an IED and had to have both of his legs amputated above the knee and then when he recovered uh, he ran 31 marathons in 31 days. You know, obviously he had to train a long time for that but like 31 marathons in 31 days with no legs on prosthetics, that... That was like insane to me. Uh I don't understand how <laughs> I, I'm always surprised at the incredible capacity of human potential. Um, and, and certain people out there are, you know, just proving that human human beings are capable of some of these insane, unthinkable things. Like that that was just unthinkable to me. And then anytime I hear about any of these like ultra endurance athletes, it's just insane. Like, uh, there was a woman who ran this race in Moab. It was like a she was on the Joe Rogan podcast. It was like a two hundred some mile. It was over two hundred mile race, nonstop foot race, two hundred miles more than that. I think it was like two fifty or something. It was crazy in the desert. Um, that's just that's un think, that's like unfathomable to me, uh, I get on the treadmill for like five minutes, and I'm, I'm ready to go do something else, um, that's crazy, insane, um, couple other, like, there's another guy, uh, Rich Roll, he's a vegan ultra endurance athlete, I heard about him doing The Epic Five, I think it's called. It was like five Ultramans, or wait, no, five Ironmans? I forget. On five different islands in Hawaii, uh, five days in a row or something. And an Ironman or Ultraman, I forget which one it is, but it's like a marathon, and then you swim a really far distance, and then you bike a really far distance. It's like just like one of these crazy ultra endurance events. And, you know, he did five of them in a row, but I'm just continuously hearing about more and more crazy stuff. Like this 31 marathons in 31 days with no legs is insane. And he had a very, uh, very good, um, journal entry online about the concept of I can't versus I won't. And that's something that I've just been trying to internalize that message. You know, I've heard it in a lot of different ways, before this and this you know just added to that trying to cement that uh, that notion in my in my brain um is that yeah when you say you can't do something what you're really saying is i i won't or like i don't want to try or like i'm not i don't have the interest i don't have enough interest to like prioritize that thing or whatever there's nothing wrong with not having the interest to prioritize a certain thing in your life, but if you say you can't do something, there's a good chance that this is just a self-limiting belief about yourself that's not entirely true. Really, what you're, you're saying is you're deciding that you won't do something instead of that you actually can't do something. Anyway, enough with this motivational crap. Just kidding. I love motivational stuff. Why not fill your freaking brains up with stuff that makes you inspired? I want as much of that as I can get. That's a good feeling. The More of that kind of stuff that makes me excited to be alive, that makes me inspired to try harder in life to be a better person, better at what I do, better... At anything really it just like uh, inspires me to progress in any way that, that's like an exciting feeling and that's kind of what gives me fuel um, because progress in any form is it's very exciting and you know I I do wonder I'm like am I being am I being too self-centered when I'm thinking about progress like focusing on progress and stuff. Usually the way I rationalize it is no. It's very important that you take care of yourself in order to provide you know your maximum potential of whatever you have to offer the world. Um, let me tell you what when I'm taking care of myself, which I didn't this weekend, but it was fun. Uh, <laughs> when I'm taking good care of myself, uh, not only am I more productive and and um, you know just like getting more stuff done that I need to get done, I have more self esteem. I feel better about myself. I am in a better mood, and I'm I think I'm more pleasant to be around because I've because I have a higher self esteem. I feel better about the life I'm living, and that has a big impact around. You know, the people around me, and so if I'm not taking care of myself, and I'm, and I'm not fun to be around, and and I'm bringing other people down, well, that's bad. So, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to believe that prioritizing self care and taking care of yourself is is a bad thing because. Like they say on the planes, everybody knows about the dangly masks with the bags that don't inflate. And if you don't, all right, well, no, everybody knows what the what that message is. So, yeah, to be able to provide your maximum benefit, you've got to take care of yourself. you know, and then there, you know, I. I'm sure a lot of people have talked about the, the balance between that and and not not becoming too self-centered. So I don't want to do that, but you know, I don't want to fall into the trap of feeling like that's self-centered to take care of yourself. And I didn't I didn't take care of myself this weekend, so I'm not even one to be talking, but I'm trying. These are my ideals, okay? And and I do have to say the difference in my mental stability and general sense of well-being and enjoyment of life was much higher when I was taking excellent care of myself in October. Then when I went off of that, I was like, meh, like, all right, I'll loosen up a little bit. Um, Once that month was over, I loosened up a little bit. And very quickly, the the path of least resistance just leads to a a not a healthy place is what I found. So (laughs) yeah, I stopped waking up as early, I let go of the meditation, writing, exercising, started smoking cigarettes, like, it went downhill really quick, and um, I got it. then I got back on, um, and the difference between when I'm off and when I'm on, the intentional, deliberate lifestyle of of deliberately, you know, doing things that I know I should do and that are good for me, the difference in mental experience, like the difference in mood and wellness, sense of general well-being, and like emotional stability was the difference was day and night. It was so obvious to me, um, feeling these two things back to back to back. And it, it's like a repeatable effect, you know, I felt great in October, went off the program, felt terrible. Um, those were the times where I was starting to have where thoughts were starting to enter my head of, like, just existential crisis type of thoughts and wondering, like, what am I doing with my life and, like, uh, feelings of wanting to give up and, and just throw in the towel with trying to be a professional with Chalk Dinosaur and make that, you know, what I do with my life. Just feelings of, of giving up. And those feelings, you know, they enter my head uh, from time to time, but, boy, they were a lot stronger when I was not taking care of myself. And when I am, uh, those feelings and thoughts go away. And I don't, I don't think about that stuff. So it was uh, it's, it's very obvious to me which way is the right way. The question would be, how do I balance it? I, I did a pretty good job balancing, with the exception of Saturday night, where if Benny Rossman comes up and offers to buy you a shot of whiskey, a big shot of whiskey, I'm not going to turn that down. <laughs> If there's, uh, yeah, and if there's a jam session and there's free beer in the fridge, uh, these are things I have to tinker with and and learn how to adjust. But in reality, I do acknowledge the fact that, you know, I don't, I shouldn't need to have these things to enjoy a jam session or, or a hangout or something. And I don't. And there's plenty of instances where I don't. I'm hanging out with people and I'm enjoying myself when we're not doing that. So it's a total mental thing and um, it's probably one of those things that once once you flip that switch in your head that you don't need this thing to, to enjoy yourself at all, uh, that it's just a, you know, once the switch flips and you start to really see that you can, you know, that you can enjoy yourself without it that it's, you know, in, in fact, it's taking away from enjoyment potentially in other areas of your life because you've got a hangover the next day or something. <laughs> uh, once I flip that switch, then it'll, it'll probably be one of those things kind of like, yeah, once you have like a vegetarian switch flip in your head or something, and your perspective just changes on it. And then you start doing something because you genuinely want to do it and not because you feel forced. Or like you're forcing yourself, man. I've been rambling on for so long. I thought this was gonna be a quick one. I'm getting ready to go to Sean Howard's studio, kind of near Uniontown. We're gonna have a podcast, and then we're gonna uh, we're gonna jam. And I, I don't know, yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna do all that stuff. Dang, I didn't even get through all my my agenda. We we covered frozen broccoli. We covered uh, the pastry catch compliment and, and the effect of that. And we covered the creepy nature of the Christmas classic "Baby It's Cold Outside." So I think I think it was a good good amount of stuff there. So I gotta get ready to go. I'm try and squeeze in. I'm doing a mixing job for someone, uh, David. Mixing his song is pretty sweet. Um, pr- it's always fun to fun to mix music. That's that's cool. Oh great! Well, hope you all have a great week uh, yeah, that's all. How do I end this thing? All right. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll talk to you later. Goodbye. Bye-bye now. That is all.